Am I on now? Cool. New mic technology. It's great. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Terra Nova Church. If, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor of worship and operations, and it's been just a joy and a pleasure to uh, get to know so many of you. And so uh, for those of you who are, are new with us this morning or visiting, we, we're, just a special welcome to you. We're glad that you've come to worship here with us at Terra Nova Church. Um, I didn't plan on saying this, but I, I think it just kind of struck me while we were worshiping. Um, as a pastor, one of the things that I have the pleasure of witnessing is behind the scenes how God is working in the greater church, in the greater community of Terra Nova Church. And uh, l- let's just say this summer, uh, the Lord has been extremely gracious um, to see the church at work within the people and the lives of those at this church is, is astounding. It's astounding to see God at work, the Holy Spirit empowering you as the church to do the work of Jesus Christ, to be his hands and his feet in so, so, so many ways. So I just want to challenge you, um, if the Lord has been working, if someone from this church has impacted you in a way, um, has blessed you, has encouraged you, has tangibly given you something um, that you don't deserve, or has just uh, lightened your soul, um, thank that person and then bear testimony. Because we all need encouragements, and I think today, in today's day and age, we need uh, that many more encouragements. So, thank you for being the church. Uh, Thank you for being brothers and sisters and people whom I love. Um, It's a a real pleasure to pastor you. Uh, So, thank you. Anyway. Let's move on to the Psalms. We are spending a summer in the Psalms, and we shouldn't spend just a summer in the Psalms. The Psalms are, there's 150 of them, so we should fill our every day with the Psalms. And in fact, in many church traditions, two, three, sometimes four Psalms are read each and every day. Um, And this is the songbook of the early church, and it's still the songbook of the new church, of the new covenant. And so we're journeying through these psalms because we want to understand on a deeper level how our emotions and how our feelings connect with the truth about God and how he's made us both body and spirit and how those two things come together in beautiful artistic displays like the psalms. These are poems. These are songs. These are expressions uh, to God. And we are going to witness the complexities in each of these. We are going to witness the writer. Um, David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and today Psalm 16 is one that David wrote. We're going to look at his pilgrim journey and how he is journeying after God, journeying through life after God. This Psalm is a Psalm of peril. This is a Psalm of, how shall I say, um, These are dire circumstances for David, and he is writing his feelings and his emotions and what he knows about God out in this psalm. And so we're going to dive into what he's thinking. We're going to dive into his perspective, and we're going to really see his heart and how he processes. And and then we're going to look at some some of the questions we might ask ourselves as we look at David and then see how this 
might and could and probably does apply to us today. So our big idea here today that we're going to spend the next few minutes unpacking is this. The big idea is the one who makes God their greatest hope and dearest treasure in both life and death will find everlasting joy for the now and the not yet. Now I want to provide us a, a caveat here that this should not be formulaic. Often we have, you know, health, uh, self-help manuals and we have pray this prayer and do it like this and this should not be a formula. However, we want to see a real-time and a real-life progression through an emotional angst from David into a place where David can and does rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you feel frustrated that your life or your situation isn't as neat as a 50-line psalm or a 16-line psalm, don't give up. We get to see these snapshots of David working through and ending many of the Psalms, not all of them, okay? Many of the Psalms end up with David proclaiming who God is and worshiping him and thanking him. Not all of them, though, all right? So, but some of you may say, man, I'm really waiting for that moment where I can stand and I can honestly say with all of my heart and soul, God, you are good. I'm going to follow you. Yes, amen. Some of you aren't there yet. So you might need to really camp out in the parts of this psalm that really speak to where you are right now. You might have to find some of the psalms that are completely of lament and sorrow. Because this is God's word and it's all true and it is all profitable for us in our understanding and in our walks towards Jesus. Amen? So let's take a look at this psalm specifically today and we're going to we're going to get a better appreciation for David's heart towards God and hopefully it um, kind of alivens our walk today. So let's read Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God. That's really important. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we need your wisdom 
We need your understanding. I pray that our hearts would be open and soft to what it is that you want to tell us and teach us this morning. So alive in these words as we seek after you and give us courage and give us hope. Amen. Okay. So, the big idea, how do we make God our greatest hope and dearest treasure in both life and death and ultimately find everlasting joy in the now and the not yet? It starts with being honest. It starts with being honest. David says, preserve me, O God. Preserve me. Help. David has a track record for being pretty honest if you've read the Psalms. It's kind of refreshing, right? It's like, wow, I need to pray more like this sometimes. It really gives a beautiful picture into his intimate relationship with his God because his first utterance is, help, preserve me, save me, protect me. Now, those of us who might know a little bit about David will know that he's a king. Uh, He was a, a warrior. And so he was in charge of protecting his territory against people that wanted to kill people in his territory and people that wanted to kill him. His life was always in jeopardy. And so he was a constant target for the enemy. So let us not overlook his cry for help. Now we don't know in particular who he's asking for help from in this psalm, but we know from his life historically that he was... He had a pretty large target on his back. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, just preserve me. He says, preserve me. Help me out. Preserve me. Oh, God. Thank you. Preserve me, oh, God. In you I take refuge. He's saying, in you, God. Not in armor, not in weapons, not in the size of my army, not in chariots, but in God. Remember, this was the same David who killed Goliath with a stone in a loincloth. This is one who knows the power of God in times of peril, but still he's honest with where he's at. He's asking for help. He's scared. But more than honesty, he has a direction for his cries. He acknowledges, he's honest, and then he acknowledges that God is the place that he ought to go in his time of trouble. We hear this all throughout the psalm. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So if we are to make God our greatest hope and our dearest treasure in both life and death and ultimately find everlasting joy in the now and the not yet, we need to start being honest with the fact that we need help. But we must acknowledge that God is the place to where we ought to run. So let's see how David acknowledging Let's see him acknowledging that God is, in fact, the place he knows he ought to run. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. 
So what David is saying here is really there's, there's a right place to go and a wrong place to go. That we very well could run after other gods, idols. And he says, their drink offerings I will not pour out. I will not take their names on my lips. And the sorrows of those that do this will multiply. But he says that the saints in the land, the fellow believers, the fellowship of those that call after God as their God, in them there is a delight and there is a goodness. Those that put, also put their hope in God are those that help encourage the rest of us as we journey towards God in this life. That in our distress that we can be surrounded by the saints of the land or the fellow believers that can help us, remind us who God is, remind us who he's done, and be a comfort and a help. He acknowledges that there's a right place and a wrong place to go. What a beautiful gift, though, is the church, isn't it? As I started saying this morning, what a beautiful picture that Jesus equips the church with his Holy Spirit to do his work. Imperfect people like you and I doing the work of Christ. It's an amazing thing. So let's move on to the next section of this psalm, um, verse 5. But first, let's repeat where we've been so far, just so I'm being uh, super clear here. So we started with David being in, in peril and trouble, and he cries out. So he's honest with where he's at. Start there. Be honest with where he's at. And then he acknowledges that he needs to run to God. And if he runs to those idols, his sorrows are going to increase. But if he runs towards God and the fellowship of believers, that there's, there's actually good things there. That he is a safe place, that God is a refuge. So where does this progress next? Verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Here we have just some beautiful, true statements from David. Statements of who God is. David is rehearsing the truth. Even in his peril, David is rehearsing what is true. He's looking at the truth of God. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. You are my inheritance. You are my counselor. You are my firm foundation. So once we're honest with our need for help, and we acknowledge where it is that we need to go in what direction. In verses 5 through 7, we hear David repeating and rehearsing and immersing himself in the truth of who God is. Friends, when, when we meditate on God's truth, we will find that it is good. And when we find that it is good, the tendency is to move towards it. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him. He's not afraid of that. 
He's not afraid of you testing him. God, are you really that good? Try him. Immerse yourself in his truth. Immerse yourself in his word. Put yourself in his path and he will meet you there. Psalm 119 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. The very first two verses of the psalm say, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Truth, not a fabricated circumstance or situation, truth is what grounds David's heart. And true joy and true hope and true security do not come from our feelings or a good situation. It comes from a holy and powerful God who is and was and always will be. And the truth about God is what drives David towards a place where he can feel joy even amidst his cries in a dire situation. So let us read the climax of this psalm here in verse 9, but let's back up a few um, measures. I always say measures instead of verses in my music, musical days. Let's back up a few measures so we can feel the crescendo. There you go. There's, there's two musical things. But yeah, let's, hear, let's see this crescendo where David is just spitting off truth, 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 therefore. So here, let's read this. We should have a symbol roll here or something. Um, so the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, because of all of this truth, therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Because of your truth, God, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices, and my flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to shale, or will you let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. There's more truth. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of who God is, because of who God is, David's heart is glad. His whole being rejoices. Our big idea again is the one who makes God their greatest hope and dearest treasure in both life and death will find everlasting joy for the now and the not yet. Terranova Church, everlasting joy can happen when we make God our greatest hope and our dearest treasure because his truth is secure, because his truth is real, and it is not limited to our finite existence. David's rejoicing in this life comes not because of God's provision, 
but all, not just God's provision in this life, but also in eternity to come. This is a joy that is everlasting, and we read that in verses 9 and 10. David says, my whole being rejoices in my flesh also dwells secure for, or because, you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. His flesh can dwell secure because he knows that this is not all there is, that he's going to dwell secure and his soul will not be abandoned to hell. You see, joy exists, joy that exists only here and now is temporary and it will go away very quickly. David is talking about a joy that he knows is eternal and everlasting. So there's a lot going on here in verses 9 and 10 theologically. And I don't want to go too deep theologically because this is, uh, has so much poetry to it, but I think it's important to unpack a couple things. Um, it is widely understood by theologians that this statement here in verses 9 and 10 is a messianic prophecy. So what that means is it's a prophecy or a foretelling of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay, but it also combines with the Davidic covenant. Lots of fancy words here. Let me try to unpack them. Theologians understand that because David says that his soul would die, but that he would not see corruption, is speaking of the covenant that the prophet Nathan spoke to David in 2 Samuel 7. So the Davidic covenant is just a prophetic word that the prophet Nathan spoke to David and said, basically, David, there's, um, you're going to have somebody as part of your bloodline that's going to come and it's going to reign on your throne forever. And what David understood that to be at that point was the Messiah. So 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13 says this. This is the prophet Nathan speaking the words of God through Nathan. When your days are fulfilled, he's talking about David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... So he knew his flesh was not everlasting, okay? When you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here David in verse 9 is saying that his flesh dwells secure, that he will not be abandoned to Sheol. He will not see corruption. Even though he knew he would die, he understood here through the covenant and the prophecy spoken over him about Jesus, that there would be an eternal king, the Messiah, who would bring eternal life, who would bring God's reign to the world. And he didn't need to worry about his uh, earthly reign because he knew that someone better than him was coming. And that person is Jesus. And so here we see David. We see somebody who makes God his greatest hope and dearest treasure in both life and death. And he finds everlasting joy in the now and the not yet because he knows that Jesus would come and would reign eternally and would preserve him both in this life and into eternity. His joy is eternal. And like David, our joy as, as Christians now is, is just a foretaste of the joy to come when we are with Jesus forever. 
when heaven comes and fully reigns and dwells on this earth, when all the things that are broken are going to be remade, all the things that are ruined are going to be restored. This is how we as Christians can be, as Pastor John Piper says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The 17th century expositor, writer, theologian, Matthew Henry, writes this in his commentary of Psalm 16. Death destroys the hope of man, but not the hope of a real Christian. Christ's resurrection is is an earnest of the believer's resurrection. In this world, sorrow is our lot, but in heaven there is a joy a fullness of joy. Our pleasures here are for a moment, but those at God's right hand are pleasure, uh, sorry, but those at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Through this, thy beloved Son and our dear Savior, thou wilt show us, O Lord, the path of life. Thou wilt justify our souls now and raise our bodies by the power on the last day when earthly sorrows shall end and heavenly joy, pain, and everlasting happiness. What good news that is, as Henry reflects on this psalm. So we've, we've kind of made our way through this psalm. We've looked at it in the progression of David's feelings and how he goes from preserve me in his distress all the way to, but I will rejoice because I know that I am secure here and and for eternity. But I want us to take a minute to ask ourselves some questions. Because, like I said, we don't, always, uh, we don't always journey through our situations or our life as quickly as a 16-verse psalm. Many of us are still at the stage where we're saying, help! Anybody there today? Some of us are still there. I want to encourage you that we see all through the Psalms this man who, like I said, generally makes his way to the point where he's like, okay, God, I gotcha. Kind of like our friend Peter, right? But it takes some time. Be patient and be humble to say, help. So I want to ask us some questions. Where do we go in our distress? Where do you go in your distress? First of all, let's be honest with that. Let's be honest when we are in distress. Are we honest with people when we are in distress? How often does somebody ask you, hey, how you doing? And you respond, I'm okay, I'm fine. But that's not true, come on. Like 75% of the time, that's not actually true. Or you ask somebody, a close friend might ask, hey, how you doing? And your face says it all. Ever had that experience? Let's be honest with when we're in trouble, when we're in distress. Where do you go in your distress? Do we realize in our distress what we're actually running to? Do we, do we notice that we, are, we have this burning desire to just check out? Do we busy ourselves 
Maybe we're workaholics or maybe we need to pop a pill or drink a few too many or watch yet another series. Now, I am not above these things and I'm right there in the trenches with you on many of these. But let's be honest. The direction to which you run when you are in distress, start to, start to acknowledge, oh, when I'm stressed, I usually do this. Bring that to the Lord. And we're not going to get it right every time, right? David didn't. He did not get it right all the time. David did some pretty yucky things. But rest assured, we can run to the arms of a God who through Jesus carries our griefs. He's acquainted with our sorrows, says Isaiah 53. We have a helper who's not just strong to save us, but has actually lived our experience and gets it. He knows it. It hurts him too because he's felt that. He's journeyed alongside of us, but he did it perfectly. So we're not leaning on the arms of somebody who came and got it right most of the time. We're leaning on the arms of somebody who lived the human experience and did it perfectly. This is our God. Amen? Come on. I love what Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter says. Peter might be one of my favorite people in the Bible because he's so much like us. Well, maybe me. I don't know. But he says uh, in John 6, 76 to 79, So Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So trust and know that Jesus is the only place to run. Where do you go in your distress? Go to Jesus. And bear witness and give testimony to the times that you said no to the other gods and the idols and you actually ran to God and it was good and it was better. Bear witness and tell people that. So that when they're off running to chase, um, chase away their problems with the futility of this world, you can say, no, this is better. Bear witness and testimony. Next question. What do we delight in? Football season is upon us. Oh boy. Bills are one and oh. I mean, it's preseason, so it doesn't matter. But what do we delight in? Okay? Galatians 5 says, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Ephesians 5.19 says how we are to talk to one another. It says we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God. What do we delight in? Do we delight in the Lord and his ways? I think most of us here could say, yeah, like most of the time. And if your answer is yes, then goodness, 
Be contagious with your delight. Share that with others. Allow others through you to taste and see that God is good. If your answer is, sometimes, that's actually great. Okay, fill yourself with more of him. Saturate yourself in the scriptures and the truth of God. Spend more time in your relationship with Jesus and you will, you will increase your delight in him. If your answer is no, or you're in a season right now that, you know, I really don't delight in the Lord, or I haven't really thought about it. Maybe I don't. Don't despair. Don't despair. Jesus' love for you has not changed just because you're going through a rough time. He has you, he knows you, and he desires for you to run to him, to be truthful about where you are, that you don't delight in him. Have you ever said that to God? I don't delight in you. I'm having a real hard time understanding that you're good. He's not afraid of our honesty, guys. Be truthful. Acknowledge that he's the place to go. And then rehearse his truth. Maybe you need to have people in your community come alongside of you and help tell you the truth when you can't quite hear it. Pray for you when you don't know what to pray. Next question. What truth do you rehearse? What is your mantra or so? that helps you through a tough time. What truth do you rehearse? Do do you scroll through the news for answers? Do you look at your bank account for comfort or to freak you out maybe? Do you call a friend to ask them to just tell you like, just tell me everything's gonna be okay, please? We all seek truth no matter who we are and The truth is that we need to rehearse God's truth. This truth will lead us always to a better path. This will lead us toward the source, Jesus, the source of joy and hope. And so when you find yourself looking for truth in people, in money, in news, weather, things, repent. That means turn around. Stop going the direction you're going. Turn around and go the other way towards God. Matthew 7, 7 to 8, Jesus says, Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Friends, truth is waiting for us. We need to cling on to it. God's truth never fails, and it never fades. Isaiah 48 Here's another beautiful poem. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Finally, last question. Um, The band can come up. And then once we're done with these four questions, throughout communion, or through the first part of communion, we're going to keep those questions up for a little while so we can, I don't know, I see people take pictures of them and you can journey through those through the week or with your tribes. So our final question today, is your joy eternal? Are you seeking for temporary joy? It's a whole lot easier to seek temporary joy. But is your joy eternal? 
we can be in the state of joyfulness or the state of happiness when our team wins or we had a great meal or our family is together for a holiday. We just got a new outfit. But if joy is based on circumstances or emotion, it's, it's only momentary. And what we've learned today, hopefully, that ultimate and true joy is not based on circumstantial things, but it's based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our God's faithfulness has secured us for everlasting life. He's brought with him the, the rule and the reign of the kingdom, and he has tasked us to labor alongside of him through our perils, through our fears, through our trials, by the power of the Holy Spirit to actually do the work of Christ in this world. And because we have such a beautiful joy here and now, in glimpses, because we have a, such a beautiful joy in eternity, we can fight through those sorrows and those trials with the help of Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, that's a good way to start any, <laughs> anything, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. He endured the cross despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, for those of you who know and serve Jesus as your Lord, you too have a joy set before you in heaven that is extraordinarily bigger than anything we could conjure up or understand here on this side of eternity. And we can and ought to live out that joy here today, but know that. We need to be honest with those that are in our lives and so we can live as lights and help acknowledge that God is love and God is truth and that his word is never fading and that joy can only be found in everlasting life of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, let us be immersed in truth. What good news it is to be, be able to say that there is truth in this world. I pray that you would help, to help us sift through the schemes of the devil because he likes to take truth and twist it ever so slightly so we think it might be truth, but it's not. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Let us be honest with where we are. Let us confess our sins to one another. Let us ask for prayer when we don't know what to pray. Let us ask for encouragement when we don't know which way to turn. Let us be the church to one another. And let us look more and more like Jesus each and every day. We ask these things in your name for your glory. Amen.